Let's continue in our worship by going to God in prayer. Let's pray. What a friend we have in Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for you are the one who gave us our breath. We live and move and have our being in you, and we can call you friend and Lord, and we thank you for that. Thank you, Father, for gathering us in this place tonight for worship, to pray, to be with each other, to hear your word preached. Uh, Lord, we give you thanks for your sustaining us through this long winter uh, that's not even over yet. Uh, God, I pray that you would continue to sustain us. Uh, I pray for uh, our whole community, for our whole city, the whole state, for great portions of the U.S. that will be experiencing really low temperatures this week. Father, we remember those who uh, do not have the privilege or the gift of home and warm spaces. Lord, we pray for your protection over them. We pray for those who experience homelessness in our city. With these freezing temperatures this week, God, we thank you for the ministries and organizations and people that work to support and care for folks experiencing hopeless homelessness. Uh, Lord, we thank you uh, for a warm building and a warm place to be, and we pray for safety for uh, all members of our community in this week. And God, we thank you for the Schultze Eldersveld Res Life community. Thank you for their spirit and their passion for their dorm. And we thank you for Amy and her leadership in that hall. Lord, may they be a community marked by friendship and kindness and support to each other and to the rest of their Calvin family. God, we lift up students and professors with midterms and exams and projects this time of the year. God, I pray that you would meet the students in their need, help them with what they need to get done. We pray for discipline, motivation, and encouragement to meet the tasks that are before them and to do them well and to do them with integrity and do them with joy. God, we pray for our community members who are sick or recovering. God, I pray that your spirit would be near to them, uh, that we pray for healing in their bodies for whatever ailments uh, they may be dealing with. We pray for members of our community who continue to grieve the loss of loved ones. We pray for friends and roommates and classmates to come alongside of them uh, to remind them that they're not alone even though a month or maybe even a few months have gone by since the loss of their loved one and Lord as we turn our ears now to be ready to hear um, on how to be free how to rest from the sin of greed uh, Holy Spirit pray that you would speak clearly through us through your servant Mary give us ears to hear and hearts to receive your word we pray all of these things in the strong name of Jesus amen I invite you to turn in the Gospel of Mark to chapter 10. This is page 822, the black books around you are the Bibles, page 822, Mark chapter 10. We'll begin to read at verse 17. Hear the word of the Lord. As Jesus was setting out on a journey... A man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. The man said to Jesus, Teacher, I have kept all these since my youth. 
Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, you lack one thing. Go, sell what you own, and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then, come, follow me. When the man heard this, he was shocked and went away grieving, for he had many possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were perplexed at these words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. They were greatly astounded and said to one another, well, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, for mortals, it's impossible, but not for God. For God, all things are possible. Peter began to say to him, look, we've left everything and followed you. Jesus said, truly, I tell you, there's no one who's left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the good news who will not receive a hundredfold now in this age, houses, brothers, sisters, mother, children, fields, with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. This is the word of the Lord. Jesus and his disciples barely have a few steps in on their journey that will take them to Jerusalem when this man runs up and kneels before Jesus. And the disciples can immediately tell that this is not just any man. First of all, he smells. He smells good. Smells like frankincense. Not too much, just just enough. And they look at him and they see that his hair is perfectly groomed and he's got this beautiful woven robe and his sandals are clean and new. This is a person of means. This is a person of wealth. Andrew looks over and he sees a servant, a servant with a horse. This guy has a horse. Andrew thinks, man. If I get a new boat, maybe, maybe just a new net, then my fishing business will really take off. Then maybe I, can, maybe I could get a horse. Thaddeus checks out the guy's shoes because he's a sandal maker like his father before him, and he's checking them out. Good workmanship, nice detail, nothing I couldn't do. I could make sandals. I could make sandals for this guy. I could corner the market on fancy sandals. And if I corner the market on fancy sandals, I can have everything this guy has and more. Matthew looks at the guy and he knows where he got his robe. And he knows where he got the frankincense. Because Matthew used to live like that. As a tax collector, he made some serious bank And he kind of misses that life every now and then. Just the smell alone is enough to take him back. (sighs) They all imagine, what could my life be like? Jesus, the man says, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Well, Jesus says, you know the commandments. Yeah, the guy says, I've done all of that. Disciples are like, serious? He's done all that. He's wealthy and pious. This guy is killing it. This guy 
is who we want to be. I mean, look at this guy, nailing it. And they see him kneeling, pious, feeling pretty good about the whole situation. Except Jesus uh, keeps talking. And he says to the man, well, there's actually one thing you do lack. You got to go and sell all your stuff and give the money to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. What, what did he say? There's grief, there's shock, and not just from the man who slowly walks away. There's grief and shock among the disciples. What did he just say? And just to be clear, Jesus says it some more. He says, well, look, it's going to be really hard for rich people to enter the kingdom of heaven. What? What? We thought this guy was nailing it. I mean, isn't wealth a sign of God's blessing that his piety somehow earned him the blessing of God? Isn't, isn't wealth that? Doesn't it mean that to our community? Shouldn't we aspire to be like this guy? What are you talking about? Yeah, actually, it's going to be harder. It's, it's, let, me, let me put it this way. It's harder for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. What? Jesus has just taken everything that they've known, everything that they've worked for, everything that they've admired, and just flipped it on its head. Wealth is a problem? Being rich is a problem? And if we're honest... We'd like to say, well, if being rich is a problem, then that's a problem I'd like to have. Because we can imagine what we would do if we were rich. No more student loans, no student debt, zero, wiped away. Buy a new car, made in this century. You could move into a better apartment. You could get a house cleaner. You could get someone to shovel or plow your driveway, your sidewalks, all taken care of, if only. If being rich is a problem, that's a problem most of us would like to have because we can imagine what that life would be like. We're fed images of that life all the time. We scroll through Instagram. We see our friends on a warm vacation. Only that could be my life. We see somebody who's posting about a new car off oh, only. We see somebody who's posting about all their wedding plans. <laughs> if only that could be my life. We imagine a life, and these things are fed to us all the time. Did you know your life could be better if only you had this? If only you had Geico? Your life would be so much better. If only you had whiter teeth. If only you drove a better car. If only you had better shoes. If only you bought one of those bracelets they're constantly advertising on Facebook, your life would be so much better. Because we all know 
that when you give your money to something and you get the stuff, you're good. Right? Have you heard of Marie Kondo? I'm going to go with yes, because you laughed. She's the Japanese organizing expert, Marie Kondo. And this is her philosophy. She says, if you're going through your stuff and you've got something that sparks joy, you should keep it. And if it doesn't spark joy, you should give it away. That's crap. <laughs> Nothing that you own will spark enough joy to sustain you. Nothing that you buy will ever spark enough joy to relieve the pain that each of us carries. Nothing. And if you've watched the show, she goes into the house and she kneels and she wants to thank the house. And then she tells you, like, if you have something, you're going to give away. First, thank the thing and give it away. And I'm like, ah! straight up idolatry. Can we just name it? I mean, she folds the t-shirts well. Give her that, all right? She's got the folding of the t-shirts and the putting stuff away. Great. But can we just for a minute take a time out and say, what is the philosophy here? That stuff deserves our thanks? That stuff can bring us joy? Do you see the problem? Please nod. Stuff does not bring the kind of joy that each one of us deeply needs. We try, though. We're pretty convinced that this particular pair of Jordans, this one, this will bring us some happiness. A new guitar, for sure, for sure. That's going to bring me some happiness. A pair of vintage jeans. That's it. We all have our things. If I just get this, if I just line this up, then for sure. But how many of us have clothes in our closets that we never wear? If you watch Marie Kondo ever, the people who take out their clothes and they put them on the bed, often the clothes still have tags on them. What is it we're looking for? Frederick Beekner, Andrew, if you'll pull up that quote, puts it this way. The trouble with being rich is that since you can solve with your checkbook virtually all practical problems that bedevil ordinary people, you are left in your leisure with nothing but the great human problems to contend with. How to be happy. How to love and be loved. How to find meaning and purpose in your life. In desperation, the rich are continually tempted to believe that they can solve these problems too with their checkbooks, which presumably what led Jesus to remark one day that for a rich man to get to heaven is about as easy as a Cadillac to go through a revolving door. What deep need do you have that could be solved with a trip to Target. Why 
do we try? The man who comes and kneels before Jesus, he knows his stuff doesn't spark joy. He knows it. That's why he comes and he kneels before Jesus because he's got all the stuff. He's got anything anyone would ever want. He is the admiration of all of his neighbors. He's the admiration of the disciples standing there looking at him, smelling him. Everybody's looking at him and thinking he's got it all together, but he knows he doesn't. And so he comes in a desperate move. The rich man runs. Rich men did not run. The rich man runs. The rich man kneels. Rich men did not kneel. Because he is so desperate. There's got to be more. Please tell me there's something I can do to inherit eternal life. And please tell me that that's going to be better than this. What can I do? There's, there's got to be something I can do. I can do all the things. I've done all the things. Just, just tell me what I can do to fill up this hole in my heart. And I love it that Mark adds this detail in verse 21. He says, and Jesus, looking at him, loved him. He loved him. What Jesus says to this man isn't to make an example out of him. It's not to mock him. It's not to put him on display. What Jesus says next to this man, he tells him because he loves him. And he's like, I want you to be set free. You've desired all the wrong things for so long. Now desire the right thing. Put your loves in order I love you so much. I don't want to see you handcuffed to your stuff anymore. And when the man walks away, he's clear with the disciples, like, look. You got to love the right things in the right order. You got to love me first. He wants his disciples to be really clear that there is no thing that should come between them and Jesus. He wants his disciples to be really clear that he loves them more than anything, and he wants them to love him more than anything. Jesus wants his disciples to understand that he loves them more than anything. And he wants them to love him more than anything. So do we? If you knelt before Jesus, what would he tell you to do? What would he tell you to give up? What's the thing that you love more than you love him?
Wednesday is Ash Wednesday. It's the start of the season of Lent. It's the start of the journey that we take together toward the cross. It's actually the journey that Jesus began at the start of this story. And at the end of this story, in the next paragraph, he talks to the disciples about what's yet to come. He says, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to get to Jerusalem. I'm going to be flogged. I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be raised on the third day. He knows what's coming And when we step into Lent, we step into that journey and we remember that Jesus went all the way to the cross for us. He sacrificed his whole self for us. And so during Lent, we have to say, what can I sacrifice for him? What do I give up? Maybe... You delete all the things on your phone that make it really easy for you to shop. Maybe you throw away all catalogs in recycling before you even get a chance to read them. And when you read people who've been writing about greed and writing about its antidote for 2,000 years since Jesus said this story, when you read these people, they say, The best antidote is exactly what Jesus prescribes. The best antidote to greed is radical generosity. They say, you want to get a sense of where you're greedy? Start giving things away. Maybe for Lent you give away one thing every day for Lent. Maybe for Lent you decide every Sunday I'm going to tithe. And the the writers say, you don't tithe because you can't afford it. You tithe first. That's the first check you write. That's the first Venmo you pay. That's the first thing you do as you tithe because that cultivates trust. I trust Jesus to provide more than I'm going to trust in my bank account. Now, for some of us, the idea of giving treasure is difficult because we have no treasure. We are treasure-free at this particular season in our lives. Well, people also talk about how we can be generous not just with treasure, but with time and with talent. So we have people who are generous with time, and they go around to the dorms, and they collect the cans, and they bring the cans to Meyer, and then they get the slips, and they take the money collected, and they put it in the offering for the community care fund. That's a donation of time. We have people who come through and pray before and after the worship service. That's a donation of time. We have people who are involved in community ministries. That's a donation of time. You teach Sunday school. You're in the nursery. You volunteer to tutor someone That's a donation of time. What kinds of things in your time life do you need to sacrifice? Where are we hoarding our time? Because let's be honest, if there's one thing we are tempted to hoard right now in this season of our lives, it's our time. Don't press it on my time. I don't have time. Oh, I just don't have time. Oh, I just don't have time. Really? What about talent? Some of you are 
dancers, some of you are musicians and you donate that gift. Some of you are artists and you're donating that gift. Some of you can figure out French verbs better than anybody else and you can donate that gift to other people who don't know the French verbs. What is a talent that you could give? Where can you sacrifice? Where can you say, Jesus, you gave me this. Who else needs this? Who do I help? How do I reach out to the community? How do we give sacrificially of our treasure and our time and our talent in such a way that it reveals our idols and reveals our greed and also reveals the depth of Jesus' love for us? Because Jesus isn't prompting you to do whatever it is he's prompting you to do because he doesn't like you, because he thinks it's going to be interesting to see if you can do it. Jesus is prompting you to do whatever it is he is prompting you to do because he is looking at you and he loves you. He loves you so much. And he doesn't want anything to get between his love for you and your love for him. That's the gift that he gives us when we give everything back. We're not told what happens to this guy, this rich man. We don't, we don't know. I'd like to think it doesn't end this way. I like to think that someday, new heavens, new earth, we're all together. You're standing in the banquet line, and this guy starts saying, oh, man, this is so embarrassing. But um, this is what happened to me once. So I went, I knelt before Jesus, and he told me to give everything away, and I'm like, I didn't want to do it, and then like a week later, I was like, yeah, I totally need to, because I hadn't slept or eaten or anything, so gave it all away, and then I uh, went to Jerusalem, and I was there, and uh, I was one of the people he, I was one of the people he appeared to after his resurrection, and he was right. He was right. I could trust him. I could trust him with everything. And I never looked back. And that's why I'm here. Because Jesus is worthy of trust. Because Jesus loved me even when I couldn't love him. Because Jesus had a plan for my future that was better than anything I could ever buy. I hope that's the story we hear someday. But I also hope that between now and Easter, there are stories that we hear with each other There are stories that we can tell and say, during Lent, I'm going to do this thing and I'm going to ask you to ask me about it. During Lent, I've decided to sacrifice this and I just want you to know to hold me accountable. Between now and Easter, I'm going to change my life this way because I know this is an idol and I want you to know about it too. What if by the time we get to Easter, there's nothing that we love more than we love Jesus. Jesus is worthy 
of our trust. Jesus is worthy of our trust. Jesus is worthy of our trust. Will you pray with me? Jesus, you went to the cross for us. You sacrificed everything for us. And you love us so much. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you reveal to us the things that stand in the way of our love for you. Show us how to give these things up. Show us how to sacrifice. Show us how to do this with somebody else, to do this in community so that we can walk the road not just to the cross but to the empty tomb. That in this season of Lent, we can move from death to life. That our desires change and that our trust grows. Remind us that you, Lord, are our shepherd. And when you're around, we lack for nothing. Grow our trust in you. And we ask this through Jesus Christ. Amen.